Well, last week we started our series, The Heart of a Maverick, where we're looking at the heart of King David. The maverick king of Israel did things his own way, acted in a way that nobody expected in so many situations of his life. And the reason that we're devoting such a long series to this is because knowing that heart is incredibly important. Because the Bible tells us that David's heart was a heart after God's heart. And what we want to have is that same heart, a heart after God's. And there is no... Uh, Uh, in the story of David, a do this, do this, do this formula that shows us how to get that heart. But when we look at his life and the events of his life, his successes, his failures, it really helps us to see how his heart was shaped. And we know, again, that's incredibly important because we're told in the story of David, we looked at this last week, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, that that the Lord looks at the heart. Man looks at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So what we're going to do today is look at maybe one of the most famous events in the life of David. It's kind of where he slingshotted from obscurity to fame, and it's the story of his battle with a giant named Goliath. Whether you have been in church your whole life, or maybe you've never opened a Bible, you have heard about David and Goliath. The phrase David and Goliath has become, for so many in our culture today, the underdog story of uh, of somebody coming from nowhere and tackling this monstrous obstacle in front of them. And it's because that's exactly what happened. Right? When we look at outward appearance, how man looks at outward appearance, David stood no chance against Goliath. Goliath was a giant. Now, when we say giant, I don't mean like he was like 20 feet tall. Uh, he was probably somewhere between 7 and 10 feet tall, but that was a giant, especially to David. And David overcomes that. He defeats Goliath. It really is uh, an incredible story, and we find that story in First Samuel chapter 17. Now, uh, kind of give you some background to get you there, because maybe you're familiar with the story, you're just not super familiar. Uh, this happens after David has been anointed prophet Samuel to be the next king. And like we said last week, even after he was anointed king, he was still left out in the field. David didn't immediately go to the front lines of battle, even though his nation was at war. He was left to tend the sheep in his father's field, where his father uh, says, hey, David, I want you to go check on your brothers who are on the battlefield. They are fighting, and I want you to bring them provision. Tell me how things are going. So he gets there, and he hears of Goliath, the champion of the Philistine army who has the nation of Israel pinned down and held captive. Every day Goliath would come out and taunt the army and taunt the Lord and say, can anybody beat me? And nobody could. Well, as David was sent and he goes and sees Goliath, he wonders why nobody's standing up to this, why nothing's going on. And so he goes to fight Goliath, and you know he goes with his stones and his sling, and he kills Goliath, and then immediately from there, he goes on into fame in the nation of Israel. Now, when we think about that story, because it is such a classic underdog story, it's really easy for us to see ourselves as David in this story. To think that this is a story about how we can slay the giant of debt in our life, or we're going to overcome the giant of singleness in our life, or maybe we're going to take down the giant of sickness in our life, and it's to motivate you to do things that you didn't think you could do. But the point of this story is not that you are David and whatever obstacle in your life is Goliath, 
The point of this story is that it is a picture of Jesus and what he did for us. See, David is a picture of Jesus. David killed Goliath and won a victory for his people, for the nation. Satan, like Goliath, has held us all captive in sin, and yet Christ has come and won the battle over sin and the battle over death at the cross and through his resurrection to set his people free. So this isn't about what you can do to overcome giants in your life. It is about what Jesus has done to defeat the giants of death, sin, and the grave on your behalf. But like we have said for a few weeks now, is that there are some principles that we can learn by looking at David's life. There's principles that can help us understand our faith. There's principles that can help us grow into our faith. And I think the biggest one, as we're talking about our hearts in this series, is that this story shows us the importance of having an undivided heart. An undivided heart. In a, in a day and time where we are divided, it seems like, into a million different pieces, heading a million different directions, this story shows us how David's heart was undivided and that that is a part of having a heart after the Lord's. So there's a few things I want you to see with me in this story that kind of point to this idea of an undivided heart. And the first one is this. An undivided heart is a heart that has no room for distractions. Let's pick up our reading in, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, but we're going to start in verse 20. This is after David has been sent by his dad. It's after we learn who Goliath is and how he has the army held captive. Verse 20 starts when David shows up to camp and comes on the scene. So 1 Samuel chapter 17 verse 20 says, So David got up early in the morning, left the flock with someone to keep it, loaded up, and set out as Jesse had charged him. He arrived at the perimeter of the camp as the army was marching out to its battle formation, shouting their battle cry. Israel and the Philistines lined up in battle formation facing each other. David left his supplies in the care of the quartermaster and ran to the battle line. When he arrived, he asked his brothers how they were. And while he was speaking with them, suddenly the champion named Goliath, the Philistine from Gath, came forward from the Philistine battle line and shouted his usual words, which David heard. And when all Israel, all the Israelite men saw Goliath, they retreated from him, terrified. Previously, an Israelite man had declared, Do you see this man who keeps coming out? He comes to defy Israel. The king will make the man who kills him very rich and will give him his daughter. The king will also make the family of that man's father exempt from paying taxes in Israel. And so David spoke to the men who were standing with him. What will be done for this man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Just who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the troops told him about the offer, concluding, This is what will be done for the man who kills him. And David's oldest brother, Eliab, listened as he spoke to the men, and he became angry with David. Why did you come down here, he asked. Why did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your arrogance and your evil heart. You came down to see the battle. Dave, what have I done now, protested David. I was just a question, and then he turned from those beside him to others in front of him and asked about the offer. The people gave the same answer as before. So again, 
Here's David. He's coming to the, to, to the battlefield. As soon as he gets there, he sees the army marching out. So he leaves all the provisions that he bought, brought with him. And he goes out to the battle line to see what's happening. And then he sees Goliath. And he sees Goliath taunt the army and taunt the Lord. And he says, why is nobody taking this guy on? He sees Goliath. He's motivated to do something about it. Now, there's this offer that comes into play, right? An offer that, hey, whoever kills Goliath uh, is going to get all of these things. He's going to be rich. He's going to marry the king's daughter. He won't have to pay taxes. So maybe, maybe David was motivated about not having to pay taxes again. I know that would motivate a lot of us. Uh, maybe he thought that this would be the way that he would become in line for the throne. Remember, Samuel's already anointed him king, so when he hear, hears that the guy who kills Goliath is going to get married into the king's family, maybe he's thinking, oh, oh, maybe this is God's plan for how I get in line for the throne. Or maybe he just thought Saul's daughter was incredibly good looking. I don't know. But the one thing we know for certain is that at least he was motivated by a desire to defend the honor of the name of the Lord and the Lord's people. Because over and over again, David says, who is this man that taunts the Lord's army? Who's this man who dishonors the name of the Lord? David was at least motivated by that. He's motivated to do something about it. But almost immediately, his brother comes to pick up a fight. Now, Eliab is a guy that we read about the chapter before. He's the oldest of David's brothers, the oldest of Jesse's son. And so when Samuel the prophet comes to anoint the next king of Israel from Jesse's house, the natural thought is that it would be Eliab. And while the Bible doesn't specifically say that he harbored resentment or frustration, I can't imagine that he didn't. And so when David comes up and starts asking, why is nobody fighting Goliath and, and, and what's going on here? Eliab just kind of goes off on him and starts taking shots at him. He says, well, you're just here because you want to see the battle, and, and I know about your heart, your evil heart. He didn't know about David's evil heart. David didn't have an evil heart. What he's doing is he's just looking to pick a fight. He's looking to score some points with the people around him. He's looking to put David in his place and remind David who the older brother is. But David does something incredible. It's simple, but it's incredible. You know what David does? He brushes it off. He refuses to get distracted. Now again, that's super simple, isn't it? But it's incredibly difficult because distractions come at us from everywhere. Maybe like in David's case, they come at us from family, friends, people who are wanting to pick a fight and take a shot and make a point. Maybe it comes from stuff going on at work. Maybe it comes from the phone that you're holding right now. But what we don't realize is that these distractions coming at us from all these different directions very quickly become tools that the enemy uses to divide our hearts. So if we want to have an undivided heart, we have to have an undistracted heart. It would have been easy for David to defend himself. It would have been easy for David to engage in the argument with Eliab, but he doesn't. He just brushes it off. Why? Because he knew that distractions steal our attention, they steal our affection, and they steal our energy away from where it should rightly be. David was focused on dealing with Goliath. 
David was focused on defending the honor of the name of the Lord and the Lord's people. He didn't have time to fight for his brother. He was getting ready to go fight for his brother. Then David's case, the distraction was obvious. And ultimately, honest, it, it was inconsequential. that This brother was just trying to pick a dumb fight. So David was easily able to kind of brush it aside But the truth is that there are a lot of seemingly good things and even potentially important things in our lives that can become distractions and they can be much harder for us to brush off. But if we desire to have an undivided heart like David, we have to learn how to brush off distractions that are coming our way. So the second thing is, not just that an undivided heart has no room for distractions, an undivided heart has no room for fear. Let's pick up reading just a few verses later in verse 33. It says, now this is after David has gone to King Saul and says, but Saul replied, you just can't go and fight this Philistine. You're just a youth and he's been a warrior since you were young. And David answered Saul, your servant has been tending his father's sheep. And whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it and I struck it down and rescued the lamb from its mouth. If it reared up against me, I would grab it by its fur, strike it down and kill it. Your servant has killed lions. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. He has defied the armies of the living God. And then David said, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and may the Lord be with you. See, I love David's fearlessness right here. Rather than cower like the rest of the army, or quite frankly, cower like King Saul hiding in his tent, David is ready to take action and do something about this trash-talking giant. He's just not going to let it stand, and he is fearless in dealing with it. David refused to let fear divide his heart. Now that may seem weird, saying that fear divides our heart, but I I think it does, and I think it's really important because fear will make you second-guess everything. I'm sure that you felt that. I know in my own life, if I'm being honest, there's not much that I can't what-if to death. Or what about to death? And sometimes I can let fear creep into my mind and and really make me unstable in in my focus and, and in my attention. And this is the start of a divided heart, right? When fear creeps in and we what if everything. So the way that David overcomes his fear here, it's not through just bravery and courage. David doesn't man up and say, well, I've got this because I've killed bears and because I've killed lions. If you look closely, that's not what he's saying. He's saying that I'm not afraid because I have confidence in the Lord who has delivered me from bears and from lions. Look back again. We just read it. Verse 37. David said, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. So David was fearless because of his confidence in the Lord. David wasn't afraid because he knew that the Lord had his back. How did he know the Lord had his back? Because he had done it in the past. And God's faithfulness to David in the past gave David confidence to move forward into the future. 
And I think, for me personally, it's incredibly important of how, of how David follows this up because he just doesn't run off at the mouth and talk about his confidence in the Lord. He acts on his confidence in the Lord. Keep reading, I'll show you. Verse 38, it says, Then Saul had his own military clothes put on David. And he put a bronze helmet on David's head and had him put on armor. And David strapped his sword on over his military clothes and he tried to walk, but he wasn't used to them. I can't walk in these, David said to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off. Instead, he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi and put them in his pouch in his shepherd's bag. And then with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine came closer and closer to David with the shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he despised him because he was just a youth, healthy and handsome. And he said to David, am I a dog that you come against me with sticks? And then he cursed David by his gods. And he said, come here, the Philistine called to David, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the wild beast." Man, can you imagine David being intimidated by this giant who's coming to him and telling him, man, I'm going to destroy you and I'm going to feed you to my dogs. But man, look at David. Look at what David says. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the ranks of Israel. You have defied him. Today, the Lord will hand you over to me. Today, I'll strike you down, remove your head, and give the corpses of the Philistine camp to the birds of the sky and the wild creatures of the earth. Then all the world will know that Israel has a God, and this whole assembly will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord he will hand you over to us man David stands up David bows up says you gonna feed me to the dogs I'm gonna feed you and your entire army to the birds because the Lord is gonna show up that confidence in who God is that God keeps his promise and he'll never let his people down made David fearless in the face of a giant right? David doesn't trust in the king's armor. He doesn't trust in the king's sword. David trusts in the Lord and how he had seen the Lord work in his life before, not as a warrior, but as a shepherd. And second, you gotta love it, man. David trash-talked the heck out of this giant and then backed it up. He absolutely took Goliath down with a stone from his sling and keeping his word. This is the rest of the story they don't teach in Sunday school. David chops off his head and shows it to the world because the Lord will not be defied. What confidence, what fearlessness. Now, the last thing that I want you to see is that an undivided heart has no room for substitutes, right? An undivided heart, we don't have time for distractions. We don't have room for fear but we also don't have room for substitutes. Now, for the sake of time, we're not going to continue reading into chapter 18, but what, you, what we read in chapter 18 is the aftermath of this story. It's David's rise to really celebrity status inside of the nation. Right after this event happens with Goliath, uh, the people of Israel start to chant, Saul, who was the king, has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. 
See, after this battle with Goliath, David experienced success, he experienced popularity, he experienced fame and influence. It seemed for now that all the world was his oyster. And just teaser, come back next week, you're going to see it actually wasn't. This success didn't lead to more success. It actually led to a very difficult period of David's life. But for this week... I want to remind you that none of those things, success, popularity, fame, influence, none of those things were in and of themselves bad, but an undivided heart has to be guarded against those things. What do I mean? It's easy for the good things in our life to quickly become God things in our life. David enjoyed that success and fame and popularity. And I believe in chapter 18, we are to read that as that they were blessings from the Lord. However, the good blessings of God in our life can often take the place of God in our lives if we're not careful. Substitutes like that, they clutter out our hearts with all these different things. And again, it competes for our time and our affection and our attention. And, and these substitutes of whatever, fame, money, popularity, love, whatever, they don't ever deliver on the promise to fulfill us that they think they will. These substitutes keep our focus not on the God who gives blessings, but on the horizontal relationships all around us in our life. And ultimately, these substitutes choke out intimacy with God that, that, that provides spiritual growth and development. So we have to be careful that when we have an undivided heart, we can't let a substitute creep in and be the focus of that undivided heart. Matter of fact, the focus of an undivided heart is one thing and one thing alone. Let me read to you from the book of Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I love that phrase, that picture, that we are in a race and that we are in a race with this great cloud of witnesses, David in that cloud watching down on us as we run our race. And there are so many things that can ensnare us. There are so many things that can hinder us. There are so many things that we can struggle with. But the author of Hebrews says we're going to run that race with endurance and we're going to do it by keeping our eyes on Jesus. That is an undivided heart. A heart that has eyes fixed on Jesus, focused on Jesus. Now let me say this, just because you have your eyes fixed on Jesus doesn't mean that you never think about anything else. Just because we say that you should have an undivided heart wholly focused on Jesus, it doesn't mean that there's not times where you think about your family or your work or your hobbies or your vacation or whatever. Obviously, you think about other things. But the, the way you keep your heart from being divided is that your focus on Jesus shapes the way that you see all those other things. 
Jesus becomes the lens or the filter by which you see everything else through. That's how your heart stays undivided, is that you are focused on Him, and through Him you see and think about everything else. But for that to work, you've got to see Jesus correctly. You've got to see Jesus for who he is, not just for who you wish he would be. And we will only ever see Jesus rightly by seeing Jesus through his word. In the word of God, we don't just get a glimpse of Jesus or of David's heart. We get a glimpse of Jesus's heart. In the New Testament, we don't have to wonder what would Jesus do. We can see literally what Jesus did. And what I'm trying to tell you is this, without God's word in your life to shape your view of Jesus, you will quickly shape Jesus to your own views. That's why it's so important that we spend time in the word of God so that we can see him clearly. And as we see him clearly, it helps us to clearly see all these other things in our life that seen improperly will divide our hearts. So let me just ask you this as we close today. What is dividing your heart? What's dividing your heart right now? Maybe even here, as we've spent just a few minutes together with worship and going through the Word, there's things coming in your life that are distracting you. Things coming in your life that are bringing anxiety or fear. Things that are creeping in as substitutes for your affection and your attention. What is dividing your heart? What is dividing it right now? I think as we're aware of those things, then we can work to address those things. Because having a heart like David's and ultimately a heart after God is a heart wholly focused on him. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for the time that you've given us here today to look to your word. God, I pray it's been helpful. I pray that you would use it to help us see Jesus more clearly, to help us see our own hearts more clearly, and that we would align those two, that we would align our hearts and focus our hearts wholly on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.